Welcome to another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, guys. Talking Duck football. Oregon at home, UCLA, the return of Chip Kelly. Is that a big thing anymore? I think it's I, it's, it's strange because of, and we'll get to all this in a second here, but because of the injury news with Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell, mm-hmm. I feel like the Chip Kelly thing was totally glossed over. 100%. Like, no one really talked about it. Um, on Monday, I think a... Ryan Thorburn, the registered guard, asked Cristobal a couple questions about Chip's return, and Cristobal kind of shrugged off those questions. Which, by the he way, had a ton to say. I think, and this, and I'm not trying to take any shots at, at any in the media, um, but why ask a coach who's in a position about the success of another coach who's coming to play you sure. at the school that you're now at? Like that just seems like. You're just like negatively recruiting against yourself. Like he's not going to give like, oh, Chip was awesome. He did great things here. He he brought us to the highest of highs at Oregon football. Like he's never going to say something like that because it, it right. would negatively recruit himself. Right. And 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 Cristobal didn't certainly take the bait. If you, if you will, I'm not sure if it was intentionally bait or anything. But yeah, I w- I would agree uh, that the Chip Kelly thing has like been completely glossed over because Oregon fans are a focused on the fact that Oregon's now lost two consecutive games and that this is a must win. Whereas I think a month ago this might have been a bit like a bigger deal because yeah. Oregon could conceivably have been a top ten, top fifteen ranked team that was you know headed towards a good bowl game and Chip Kelly coming in would not have been all that big. It would have been a bigger storyline probably just because the game wouldn't have felt like it was so important. And suddenly this is a huge game for Oregon and also. Oregon's got some injuries that have completely just, you know... Obliterated the roster. Yeah, they've completely obliterated the roster and really taken up the majority of the conversation this week because, you know, I think we've probably written more stories just on updates on injury. I think we had a story every day since Cristobal announced on Monday that both Herbert and Mitchell were on concussion protocol. I think Tuesday, Wednesday, and even like Thursday we've had updates on it because that is really the story, and and as it should be, because you've got Oregon's top two offensive players who are now... I would say questionable to play this weekend. I mean, you could almost obviously Justin's the most important player on this team, the most talented player on this team. But sure. you could almost argue that Dylan Mitchell is probably in the top five at the worst of most importance. Let's just off the top of my head, I would say Detroit Eye is probably second. I would say honestly, Ugo Amadi might be third because that secondary without him is is kind of a mess at times. Um, Maybe Dylan Mitchell is the fourth most valuable guy. Uh, maybe we're learning. He's an offensive lineman. I was going to say. Sewell. Maybe we've learned that Penny Sewell is actually the second most valuable player because the, the the caliber of this offensive line play dropped off so significantly um, in recent weeks. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly become clear that that Dylan Mitchell is without a doubt Oregon's probably best skill position player, and that's including running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. He's basically the only. You were a, a good story on the site, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday, just about. Dylan, Dylan Mitchell's production compared yeah. to the rest of the receivers. I mean, he's basically the, he's, he's he's the guy. guy. There's no way to argue that he's dominating the receptions in conference play, the yardage, the targets, all of that. He is 100 percent the top target. So if, if but the thing is, like, is that it's not like now I, I have to preface this by saying like we don't have the target numbers in ter- how many times Herbert's been tar- or Herbert's targeted Mitchell compared to everyone else on the team. And we don't have those numbers for every other team in the conference as well. And, to do, and we should say, to do so would take a lot of work. Yeah. You have to go through each game by game by game by game by game and add it up. And, but that being said, we do have how many receptions Mitchell has, everyone else on the team, compared to how many attempts 
that or how many completions that um, Herbert has had across the board, and her, Mitchell's usage within the offense at Oregon is highly yeah. it, it, it's super high compared to everybody else. But you compare that across the Pac-12 and every other team's top receiving target, and he's fourth in usage. And you know, obviously Washington State, their numbers are skewed all over across the board because they didn't have a guy in the top six uh, in usage in the Pac-12. And then on top of that, you know, all of their guys, I think actually Washington State's like leading receiver was like 13 or 14% of their reception. They literally spread and everything Mitchell across. Like 32 Mitchell was that. 32, um, but uh, 30. LaVisca Chenault was ahead of him at, at like 32 Aaron Fuller of Washington, I believe, was ahead of him. Um, there, there were four. There were three guys that were ahead of Mitchell, and they weren't astronomically higher. And the guys just below Mitchell weren't astronomically lower uh, than what Mitchell's at. So, in terms of receptions, you know, he's kind of right around par of what you would want from a go-to receiver. But you dig deeper into that story, yeah. and that's where you see the issues that Oregon's receivers have is that no one else on this team is able to provide any kind of re- reliable production. Which is which is actually why the injury is a, is big. a bigger deal than maybe some people, and I think most people recognize watching the games. If you've watched every game, you, you realize that there might not be a bigger drop-off from the starter to the backups than Mitchell to his second guy, with the exception of Justin Herbert to Tyler Shuck slash Braxton Burmeister. Which is why those guys' health is so paramount because you're looking at basically the two clear. I, I would say the best offensive players on the team. It would be hard to argue otherwise. If you, you could probably argue one of those offensive linemen if you wanted to, um, but there just isn't a clear replacement. So if Justin Herbert isn't going to play, and again, this is you know if he doesn't, this right. isn't he's not going to because we haven't heard definitively one way or the other. I think it sounds it sounds like he's probably leaning towards playing. He's, yeah, we should we should say he's been cleared from. Concussion protocol on, on Wednesday, and, and Cristobal said that the expectation was Del Mitchell would be also later in that day. Obviously, we haven't heard anything. with Cristobal. And first, they're not going to announce sure. anything. Although he's, he says every time. <laughs> they, we'll get that to We'll a, get that to you, but yeah. they never do. Um, and then that's not a shot too much. It's just kind of a funny thing he says every time about the injury. Oh, we'll get that, and we'll get that to you. And then, of course, we don't hear it unless we ask about it um, when available. But um, if those guys can't play, there is it's, it is a significant drop off, and that's where a game, which again looked so like pretty basically a gimme game two weeks ago, suddenly could be very very interesting because UCLA only won two games this year, but the two wins have come in the last um, three game, three times out for the Bruins, and the Ducks are banged up, and it's not just and, and you just put some stuff on the war room, and we probably don't want to divulge everything in there because that's VIP content. This is a free podcast. But there are guys... The injury list is extremely long. It is extremely long, and it's guys that are very important to this team. We're not going to mention everybody besides the ones that we've already established because that's common knowledge yeah. that Mitchell and Herbert are banked up. Right I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is this is where going into the season, I think everyone said... And it was kind of the same deal last year to an extent of, okay, look, Oregon's 22. They're, they're starting 11 on offense, and they're starting 11 on defense. They are probably talented enough to hang with every school in the conference, and they are talented enough, as long as Justin Herbert is healthy, to go out and, and beat every team in the conference. Yep. They, they have the talent to do that. They're capable of doing that. You can't say that about every other team in the Pac-12. You know, Oregon State 
offensively, they can go out and put points up against everybody, but their defense is horrendous, and they can't physically go out and beat every team in the Pac-12. Right. It, it, they would need like 20 attempts out of, out of, you know, win two games out of 20 tries against some of these teams to, to do it. Um, but what we said going into last year and then going into this year was, what is the depth going to be like? Because... Look, the last couple of seasons at Oregon, Oregon has not been recruiting at the level that they typically recruit at, that we're used to. And that's inside the top 20. They've been outside the top 20 the last couple of seasons. and Up until 2018. Up until 2018 and 19. Um, But guys on this team, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of guys from the 2016 class, a lot of guys from the 2015 class, and the 2014 class that either aren't on this team... Or they just didn't pan out to be the type of player that they were supposed to be. And that's impacted the depth. Totally. And Oregon has no depth and no ability to withstand injuries and throw guys out there. Hey, this guy's hurt. We're just going to throw in another four-star guy and we'll be fine. And I think that was, and I think a really good, and maybe this got lost because Oregon looked terrible all over the place against Arizona, but Oregon basically played, half of its linebackers were guys that had not played very much and weren't very experienced and frankly aren't necessarily guys that you would want out there in that situation. And, and I think Adrian Jackson is a great ceiling. I think Samson New could, could turn out to be a pretty good player and be a, a good rotation guy eventually. But those aren't guys that you necessarily are are ready to play in that situation. And I think that showed. And again... They had Brady Breeze as safety and, playing and, outside linebacker. And, that, 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 and that's something they're going to continue to do, it, it sounds like, because they are so shallow there. And it's worth, when we watch practice... The second team outside linebacker, one of them is a walk-on whose name is Poe Paletti Gore, who most fans probably never heard of, but yeah. he's and he played. He few- wasn't even on Arizona's play card in the press box. Really? I mean, they they Oregon. Look at it this way: they didn't include the the, the walk-ons from Oregon on the play on the play card in the press box for the media to identify who's out there, which in its own right is a huge mistake by by Arizona. Sure. But Oregon has to rely on Poe Paletti Gore. They have to rely on Ryan Bay at tight end. He has started like five games this season. Oh, and Kalana Pelli used to be a walk-on as well. He's yeah. the second leading tackle on the team. They have to rely on Justin Collins got in the football game at a receiver. And he wasn't even on the depth chart. He played a lot in the second half. He's probably going to play a lot in this game, especially if Dylan Mitchell doesn't play. He's not on the two deep, but... He's gonna, but play. he basically has been in practice. Yeah, he's basically been one of the top six guys. And so Oregon is in the position where, yeah, they've got talent. They've got a lot for a team that's five and three right now. They have a lot of first rounder talent on their team. Jalen Jelks is a possible first rounder. Calvin Throckmorton is a possible first rounder. You've got Justin Herbert. Justin, Justin this guy named Justin Herbert, who's going to be a first round quarterback. Um, I mean, you you could arguably make a case right now. Penny Sewell. I mean, sure. he's not eligible for two more years, but he looks like a first-round NFL offensive lineman. And yet, you think and you see all this talent, and you th- and you say to yourself, Oregon should be a seven and one, or they should be eight and zero, oh, or they should be in the top ten right now because look at all this front-end talent. Well, those teams like Clemson, I went, I watched before the Arizona game, Clemson, Florida State, because that was kind of one of the only good games interesting games on TV at the time. And there were Oregon implications. And there were Oregon implications. Right. And Florida State had their first string offense in, and the quarterback in, midway through the third quarter. Clemson was running their third and their fourth string defensive linemen and were straight up dominating <laughs> Florida State. And this isn't a dig at, at Florida State or Taggart at all. It's, it's a sign that 
that's what a true top 10, top 5 type team has. They have dudes that are waiting in the wings and the second string and the third string that could go and start right away at other places. You can't say that right now about Oregon across the board. I mean, there's, there's, I think, well, maybe along the offensive line, maybe along the defensive line, you, you might have a couple guys that could play at other schools in the Pac 12 right now. But Oregon's got a huge talent drop Agreed. after the top 11 on offense and on top 11 on defense. And we're seeing that play out into a point now where injuries happen in football and Oregon doesn't have the guys to keep the pace going at the, at the weight they were going. Last thought on the depth before we probably move on here, but you just look at the two deep and you look at the second team and a lot of these guys are guys that either A, haven't played very much or B, are people you probably aren't familiar with at all if you're an Oregon fan. I mean, you look at names through here, like Daywood Davis, he has one catch this season. Tabari Hines has hardly played in I don't know how long. Stephen Jones has played, I think, in two games. Sam Picasso, Alex Forsyth, uh, George Moore, those guys have played like one or two games. Uh, Sione Kava, same type of thing, barely played. Uh, Samson New and Adrian Jackson basically hadn't played all season until last week against Arizona. Verona McKinley's a name you haven't seen a ton because he hasn't played a lot. Uh, you know, and you go just go and go down the you go down the list there, and and Hockey Woods and Califelici, same thing at the other corner spot. Uh, these just aren't guys that you've seen play a ton, and because Oregon has relied, and this is what we were talking off the air before this. It'd be fun if there was a snap count tally kept somewhere. They do keep it in the press um, release that Oregon hands out for the offensive line, but I would love to see because I'm going to guess that most of these starters, especially on defense, are playing like 90% of the snaps at least. Maybe the defensive line they do have some depth and they move some guys in there, but. Um, it, they are very reliant on their first-team guys, and this is going to be a week where a lot of those first-team guys are either A, not going to play, or B, going to play hurt, and it's going to be a big test for this team because I think this is a game where Oregon's depth is going to be on display, and it's either going to be, wow, some of these guys kind of exceeded expectations and, and played better than we expected, or it's going to be, oh, wow, this is a problem because Oregon's playing a UCLA team that's won two games, and some of these second-team guys just aren't able to cut it against a team that, frankly, hasn't been very good this year. Okay, let's let's pivot from injuries but stick with injuries and make our calls here. Are you expecting Justin Herbert to play in this game? Um, I, I am. I think the fact that he was a participant at some level on Wednesday, Cristobal said he was cleared of concussion protocol, which, from my understanding, basically means that there really isn't a lingering medical issue anymore. Now, obviously, he can determine, hey, actually, I don't feel right. I don't want to play. Or they could, or the staff can say, he might, maybe this medical team thinks he's good, but, man, I just don't think he's right being around him and watching him. So there's a possibility of that. But my, my sense is that he, he's going to play. Dylan Mitchell would be the one I would probably be a little bit less confident with. At the same time, the fact that supposedly he was going to be cleared from concussion protocol on Wednesday. Right. To, me, to me, if both those guys are out of concussion protocol – on Wednesday, that's a sign that they're going to have enough practice time because I think you only need two days after, is, is my recollection. That gives them Thursday and Friday to get ready for for uh, UCLA. Now, if, if something leaked that Dylan Mitchell wasn't cleared until today or something, we like haven't that, seen it. Then yeah, then, then maybe I'd feel otherwise. My my sense is that Herbert, I'd say I feel pretty good about, and Mitchell is kind of a little maybe a little above fifty fifty. So now the question then becomes, how much does that change your confidence level in? Picking this Oregon game because, like you said earlier on the show, that I think it it this was a game in early September that you looked at the two teams and said Oregon's going to win by forty. This is going to be a blowout. This is going to be 
I mean, and, perfect scenario and for work. Two weeks ago, I would have said the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way that UCLA was playing, the way that Oregon was playing, Oregon's confidence level in picking the Ducks here has to be high. Now, I'm not, even with a healthy Herbert and with a healthy Dylan Mitchell, I was already skeptical of, of saying, hey, Oregon's going to come out here and win by three or more scores. Just because Arizona's defense is awful. They're not one of the better defenses in the Pac-12. And they shut down Oregon. Mm-hmm. It, it, they made Oregon look disorganized, unprepared, lacking execution, whatever you want to use to describe Oregon's offense. They made them do that. And Arizona's offense was like ninth and 10th in the conference in passing and defensive uh, rushing yards. And now, with with a healthy Her- Herbert, I still think they should win. I still think they are like a, a 10 or a 14-point favorite, like Vegas has them as. It's 10 and a half right now. It's 10 and a half. Uh, but without Herbert, I think it's a toss-up game. Without Dylan Mitchell, it's it's almost kind of like, okay, now maybe it goes down to a 5 or, or a 6. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if Herbert doesn't play, then Mitchell not playing to me is kind of a wash because I don't know if either Burmeister or Shuck, or I'm not confident either of them would be able to get the ball to Mitchell anyway. At the same time, if I'm being honest... The passing game would really struggle without Mitchell. Yep. With I mean, you, you need a guy like his caliber out there. So I still think Oregon's going to win, and, and we'll have our predictions up on the site. Um, it's, we're recording this on a Friday, so probably the predictions might go up before the podcast. But uh, I think Oregon's going to win. I think they'll cover. Um, of course, I've been overconfident, overzealous for the last couple of weeks here. I picked them 100%. to beat Washington State. I thought they'd be Arizona. I had them win by 32 in that game, and they lost by 29. Um, I said after the Washington State game, I thought they were going to win four out of their final five games, this being one of them by more than four touchdowns. I certainly don't feel that right now. I think people are... Oregon's struggles recently are almost a little bit under the microscope too much. Not that they shouldn't be, but I think people are kind of losing sight of the fact that UCLA's been really bad pretty much all season. I know they had... They had a couple good wins. They they, they beat a Cal team that has been so polarizing, so up and down. Um, by 30 in a game where Cal's offense was just maybe one of the... It was it was almost Oregon bad this last week against Arizona in terms of what Cal did. There was multiple... You see, like, I think five or six turnovers for us, a couple defensive touchdowns. It was just an ugly game. And then they, they, they barely beat Arizona at home when, when Khalil Tate did not play. Um, I don't think this UCLA team is very good. Utah just spanked them by about six scores. I guess five scores last week. I think Oregon is going to win, um, but... If Braxton Burmeister is the quarterback or Tyler Shuck is the quarterback, then I get more than a little bit concerned because we saw this story a season ago when Braxton Burmeister was the quarterback, and I don't want to make this a taking shots at him because I, I, I think he's a, a, a guy that was put into an incredibly difficult situation last year. At a, I mean, you feel for him because, you know, and, and the way things work now on social media, he was taking so much crap because yeah. but he's a true freshman put in a spot that he shouldn't have been in at the same time I think I haven't seen enough in practice really to think that he is going to be 10 times better and it's not going to be a significant don't boo loss. him like oh god I hope that doesn't happen like uh, we were talking with the media this week some of the guys in the media corps of like if, if Oregon goes out three and out and they trot out Braxton Burmeister as the quarterback they are going to fans are going to probably boo and that's that's terrible I mean that, that's really poor form on Oregon. So I, I really hope that if Burmeister is the quarterback, or even if it's Shuck in that matter, and Oregon's offense struggles, don't boo. Like, that, 
like you can be angry and you can be mad at the coaches, but don't boo at the at the quarterbacks that are playing in this in this football game. That's just poor form. Totally. And, and I'll be curious to see um, who if, if, who is it who, who goes it? first. Who is it? Uh, we, we should mention on, on Tuesday and I think also on Wednesday, Braxton Burmeister took the first team reps and appeared to be the guy they were leaning to. But yes. I think Arroyo said and Cristobal said later in the week that it was still going to be kind of fifty fifty in terms of. The repetition split and kind of and kind of where they were leaning. I don't think either of them really tipped the hand in terms of which direction they would go if Herbert was unavailable. And again, hopefully that's a situation if you're an Oregon fan that you're not having to sweat on Saturday of, of who the quarterback is. But um, I, I would be very very curious because I think you, you can look at it a lot of different ways. But if I'm if I'm if I'm the Oregon head coach, just let's just find the guy that can make us win the game. You know, I mean, and I know that's it's probably glaringly obvious, but. Let's not consider the redshirt stuff because that could probably play into it. Let's not consider, um, you know, what's, you need a wins. Better fit, what's a better fit. Let's just play the guy that can win the football game now. And if that's Braxton Burmeister, then let's play him. If it's Tyler Shupp, let's play him. Um, obviously, if you're an Oregon fan, you're hoping it's, it's Justin Herbert, though, under center. I, I think we're also really missing an underlying story of this 2018 football season of I think there's an identity crisis at running back for Oregon. In terms of they don't know who they want to be. They don't know what they want to be at running back. Because C.J. Verdell, I think, through eight games of the football season, has identified himself as the best running back that Oregon has. Agreed. And the problem here is is that Verdell is, fair or not, injury prone. Because he was out a lot last season as a redshirt with injuries. He's been dinged up now this season. And the strangest thing is is that against Stanford, against Washington, they're two most impressive games that they've played this season. Uh, and even against California, um, Verdell has been the guy. He has been the guy that, that they, they pound the rock with, they churn out the yards, they get the first downs, they convert short, third and shorts, fourth and ones, and they, can, they move the chains. Verdell is that guy. And... Yet they've down, they've danced around with they started Tony Brooks James at running back against Arizona, and Tony got the start. I think he got one carry and then he was gone, and we didn't see him again until, until quarter, quarter, yeah. late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter when the game was basically over. Um, Travis Dye was the second running back in the game against Arizona, fumbled on one of his first carries of the game. If not the first, I can't remember if it was or not. Uh, lost the ball, and that resulted in three points. And then Verdell came in. So my, if I have a complaint, it's not a play-calling complaint. It's, okay, look, if Verdell is your guy, if, or if Tony Brooks James is your guy, use him. Play them. Give them carries. Establish a rhythm with those guys. We don't see that. And, and it's, the, it's the strangest thing. It's been this way the entire season of – Shuffling guys in, shuffling guys out, rotating guys here and there. You have one guy starting on week one, and that guy starts, but then doesn't doesn't even finish with, with seven carries. And I don't think look, you're never going to replace what Royce Freeman brought to the table with one guy that's on this roster. Verdell could turn into a player. Travis Dye could turn into a player that down the road has some kind of an impact and importance to a team that. Freeman had, but you're not going to replace him right away. But at the same time, 
none of these guys, you know, mixing and matching combined, are going to be able to do what Royce did. Pick a guy and just stick with it. I don't think it's by mistake that Oregon's three best games this season. I'm going to include the Stanford game because I thought that was honestly it might have been the best played game. Yeah, it, it was, it, despite all the they, I mean, they really kind of crapped the bed in the second half there, but they played at the highest level. I think they played all season um, in that first kind of two and two and a half quarters of that game. But you know, you look at Stanford, Cal, and Washington. Three games I think they played at the highest level this season. And Verdell had 20 carries, nine carries, and 29 carries. It's worth noting the nine carry game he was hurt and didn't play most of the second half, but he ran for over 100 yards in each game, and they were able to win two out of three in the one they lost. Unfortunately, he played a role in that because he fumbled late. But um, I think it's pretty clear that when he has, you know, when he is kind of the focal point of that running game, the offenses run really, really well. They've had really good games. And, um, you know, in Washington State, it's kind of an unfair thing because they didn't really have the opportunity to, to run the ball. And he played okay in that game. 12 carries, 55 yards. I mean, he made the most of his touches. But six carries for 14 yards against Arizona – Again, I know they were behind and didn't have a chance to throw, but he, he's a guy that I think needs to have 10 carries by half. And, and yeah. of course, it, it, it changes because of the situation. And I, and, and He's their best pass blocker, he's too. He's their best pass blocker. And, and, and I, I want to, you know, one thing here uh, from a play calling, and again, I don't want to make a just. I think play calling, complaining about play calling is the low hanging fruit. But what, what I will say is that if Oregon wants to establish itself with that run game, Oregon's first three third downs were third and two, third and two, and third and four, and they threw it all three times. Yeah. I think. There's an opportunity, especially coming off a game where you didn't run the ball very well against Washington State, there was an opportunity against Arizona to kind of solidify, hey, we're a running team. I think Arizona was ranked 11th in the conference against the run. Third and second, third and second, third and fourth. Let's at least run it on a couple of those and just show that, you know, we've got the strength up front to get two or two or four yards. We can do that on a play. They didn't. They threw passes. They were all um, either incomplete or short of the line to gain. So they ended up having to punt. I don't know why they don't run in that situation. And against UCLA, who, again, I looked at the numbers earlier today, I think they're 10th against the run. Again, not a very good run defense. This is another game where Oregon will have, I think, an opportunity to take advantage of that and, and have some success running the football. And for my money, it needs to be C.J. Verdell that's running the ball for most of it. And I think if Oregon's good. I think Oregon has a much better chance of winning this game if Verdell gets 18 carries or more. If he gets less than that, then, then we'll see. But again, I don't think it's by mistake that the games they've had the most success offensively this season are games where he's been kind of fed the rock consistently. It, it's one of those deals where he's the best back, but it feels like the staff has, hey, they're trying to keep so many guys happy. Hey, we're going to give you the start. You're, you're going to get an opportunity to showcase yourself. And if you don't, you're done for the rest of the game. Or... Hey, we'll find a way to get you in, you know, a couple series here and there. And, you know, what's where do you think Oregon falls in the conference and rushing yards total for the well, season? I knew that they were I think they were first slash second for most of the year. I think they fell to like six or seven. They are eighth. Yeah, I knew that they fell earlier this week. Um, and again, I mean that's what happens when you run for like fifty yards for consecutive games. They were I believe they were first or second coming into the Washington State game, and, and have totally fallen off. It's been a complete nosedive running. And honestly, that could be the way this game is determined on Saturday, regardless of if Herbert plays or not, is if Oregon is able to establish its run game. We've already said UCLA is terrible against the run. Oregon might not need to have a healthy or full 100% Justin Herbert and a full 100% Dylan Mitchell to win this game. They might be able to get by by just running the football, but you feel a lot more confident saying that if you, A, felt like this offensive line was playing at its best, which it hasn't been, and B, if you felt confident about who was kind of the focal point of that run game, because I don't think this is a time of year where you want to be 
mixing and matching and, and, and giving Verdell six carries and Dye six carries and Brooks James six carries. I think give Verdell 15 of those carries and give the other guys a couple each if you want. But um, I, I think this is a game, again, I think, I think Oregon has a chance to run for a ton of yards in this game if they're able to do what we think they're able to do. Um, but again, it comes down to execution and kind of you know getting up and getting in most of these guys. We just haven't seen that in the last couple of weeks. Recruiting. Well, let's dive into just a little bit of recruiting here. Um, this is a huge weekend for Oregon, specifically on the football field. They need to get right. They need to get bowl eligible. Yeah, it's another. We, we talked about that. They're, they need to win this game. They're not even bowl eligible yet. Yeah, you know, going into the month of November and Oregon's not bowl eligible is weird to say now. And there's you can now say that for three straight years. Mm. Uh, that Oregon is not full eligible going into the month of November. Um, and they have to do some work to get there. Um, but it's also an important week for Oregon's future because they've got six guys coming in for official visits. Uh, one of them is a five-star in Kyle Ford. They're not expecting a lot of unofficial visit guys. They're not expecting any last-minute official visit guys. Um, Oregon's one, basically one other option at the receiver spot is Kyle Ford. They've got four verbal commitments already there. They're going after a fifth. And I think it's pretty clear that it makes sense to go after one. Um, but then on the defensive side of the football, you want a good showing for Oregon because they've got four defensive linemen, four guys that are all four-star prospects, all on the West Coast. Basically, this is their this is their big board. This is their four guys that they like the most at defensive line. Siakiaka, a defensive tackle nose guard from Utah. Um, Ty Robinson, a strong side defensive end from Higley High School in Arizona in the Phoenix area. Stephen Wright and uh, Drake Jackson, two defensive end, weak side defensive ends. And then there's Kayvon Thibodeau, who's the nation's number one prospect at defensive end too. He's not here, but those he other... Visited he visited earlier. Those are the five guys that Oregon's basically really high on along the defensive line. And they probably need to get two of those guys some combination, and Siakiaka needs to be one of them, in my mind, because they don't have a lot of depth behind Jordan Scott, and as crazy as it sounds, Jordan Scott's draft eligible next year. Yeah, it is. It, and, and again, we talked about I mean, I don't know if he's going to go or not. I have, but no idea. I have no idea what his draft prospectus is, because nose guards typically aren't first, second, and third round guys. Sometimes you'll see it, but I, he might be one of those special guys that is. Maybe that people see him as the next Warren Sapp or something, but... I agree with you on that because right now you look at the depth chart. Sione Kava is listed as the nose guard. I don't remember him playing nose guard hardly at all this year. I know Gary Baker, who's listed technically, he's as done okay. Then. Baker's kind of been the nose guard. I think people had hoped that Popo Amave um, would fill in after coming off an injury, but he, he hasn't. Has, he's been a non-factor, and it looks like um, it looks like he might use a medical retro last year and a retro this year. Possibly he hasn't played. He's, he's currently hasn't played in enough games um, to, to to burn his redshirt this season. So. Um, certainly a position where, yeah, they need some, some they, they need their future nose guard. And, and a guy like, I mean, I agree 100%. That, that is the prototype. At 6'3", 351 pounds, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, Alabama wants him. Alabama, well, Alabama wants him bad. It's an Oregon-Alabama battle, and that kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, I think or- Alabama has the crystal ball advantage currently. But, yeah, but this is a big weekend for Oregon simply because his parents are coming here from out of the country. Um, and then on top of that... Uh, Alabama might not have room for him. Yeah, I mean they they are loading up on defensive linemen. They just got another one a couple, I think last week in Braylon Ingerham, uh, more like a defensive end slash D tackle. The guy Oregon, the guy that Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, he visited Oregon just before that that trip, uh, that commitment. Excuse me, but 
Or, or hopes that's not the trend this weekend, too. <laughs> um, but Alabama just might not have room when all things are said and done. Because Ty Robinson, that's another guy. Alabama, Nebraska, USC. Um, those Oregon's in on a couple guys that Alabama's going after. And I, I, think, I think Robinson is another one that is a really important guy for Oregon. Because he's that Stanford defensive lineman that gave Oregon fits in the 2000, early 2010s. He's DeForest Buckner. He's Eric Armstead because he's six, he's six foot seven. He's 285 pounds. He's twitchy. He's very athletic. He can play inside. He can play on the edge as a pass rusher as well. Gives you a lot of versatility. And I think Siaki Aka and Ty Robinson are probably guys that Oregon really needs to add. I mean, I'm not trying to say Drake Jackson and, and Stephen Wright aren't good players because they are. But I think Robinson and Yaka are are a step above those two players and could really help transform this defense uh, next season. A little bit of context. You're talking about Alabama maybe filling up. Currently they have seven defensive line commitments in this class. How many are they going to take? Yeah, And so maybe they're comfortable taking eight or nine. But that's a big defensive line haul. And you look at the, I mean, as you'd expect, Alabama has a number one rated recruiting class. As you expect, they're literally all four-star recruits, you know. Um, and actually looking at their class, they have 20 four-stars and one three-star recruit in their class. So, yeah, these guys are pretty good. Yeah, well, there's a reason um, why Nick Saban wins every year. <laughs> there's a reason why these guys are number one in recruiting every year, win the national championship basically every <laughs> other year, um, and are always in the college football playoff. But certainly um, a couple of guys that, that you mentioned, again, on that defensive line that that you'd love to see in Oregon uniforms. And, again, looking at the depth here, defensive line is maybe slightly better than some other spots here, but they're going to have to replace Jalen Jelks. They're going to have to... Um, replace a couple of these other guys down the line here, and there's certainly, I think, playing time available. And I wouldn't be shocked if Oregon adds a couple, two of the guys, if they add two of the guys from this weekend, if those guys aren't guys that are, are playing significant minutes next fall for Oregon on the defensive line. Let's shift towards um, the lines now. Let's look at look across the, the Pac-12 before we wrap things up here. Um, By the way, we're doing this a day later than normal. Usually, we've already. We haven't posted our predicting the packs. We've actually already posted them. So if you if you flip in, on your picks here, I'm going to have to hold you to it because I have my little spreadsheet pulled up here that says whether or not you're covering. So if you're changing your mind, man, you can't flip-flop on me. Colorado at Arizona, two and a half as of uh, at half a point. It's going to change things for me. It was three originally. It was three originally. Is that two and a half going to? Because I think no. you had them winning by nine or something. Yeah, I have like Arizona that. winning. Yeah, we both, yeah, and then actually we can just say the... You can they look, play tonight. They play tonight. You should pull up. We have our predicting the pack. We have uh, every week, and myself, Matt, Kevin, and Alec all, all do the picks. And so if, if you enjoy kind of following the conference and how it goes, we, we make predictions and explain them every every Thursday. So that's on the site if you want. We have an Oregon uh, prediction that's a little more in-depth that comes out probably tonight. tonight. Um, but, yeah, we and I also have Arizona. And I'm not going to deviate from my picks. They're in here. <laughs> they're written down in ink because they're on my computer. I don't know if it's actually ink or if it's just it's like digital. digital computer stuff. But, we, yeah, I also have Arizona. And we all had Arizona winning and covering, by the way. Cal at Washington State. Um, I Let's just explain our picks here. All right. Let's um, I'm, I'm sticking with what I have. Colorado covers, but they lose. Or Cal, Cal. Cal covers, but they lose. Um I think Washington State's gone through a two-week emotional high. They, they had their Super Bowl against Oregon at home with College Game Day there for the first time ever. Then they went down on the farm, won a really tough battle back and forth against Stanford, held on to win that one. Cal is 
a, a solid defensive team. Um, their offense is something that's an exquisite taste. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely there. Um, it's not great. But I think Washington. This is going to be one of those deals where look, every, these are college kids. This is a Washington State team that's not played at this level consistently every year. No, they're going to have a bad game. I think this is going to be that bad game. They're still going to win, but they're not going to cover. I have Washington State winning and covering. I, I, I had this being a relatively close game, though. I, I think I had it. I think it's a ten point line when we did the picks, and I, and I had it a little bit more than that, but I didn't have it like a four score game or anything. I, I think Washington State wins. I think. They're the best team playing right now in the Pac-12 North. And it's worth noting that Cal blew out Oregon State, who just beat Colorado, and then upset Washington at home. This is a, maybe you could, argue, you could probably argue that Cal is the second hottest team in the Pac-12 North. What? Actually, you can probably say that pretty confidently right now with the way they played the last two weeks. Oregon, Washington, and Stanford all lost in the same week. I know. I know. And, the conf- and, and, and Cal is now tied with Oregon in the Pac-12 North, which is one of those bizarre kind of things. And Oregon State's a game back. Yeah. That's... So, I mean, all of it's just getting jumbled at this point. Oregon's only two and three, but... I think Washington State's going to win. I think they're going to do win handily enough that they'll cover. UC, uh, Utah on the road at Arizona State. Utes open up as a or they're currently a seven and a half point favorite. I think Utah is the best team in the Pac-12. They're I the do. most complete team. They've got a good defense. They've got a, an offense that's resurgent now and figured things out. Um, they've got a run game behind Moss that's really impressive. Arizona State's Jekyll and Hyde. I, I think the only reason that I had some caution in picking Utah to cover is that this game's played at ASU. Right. Um, that said, I still think Utah is the better team across the board, coaching included. Uh, I'm, pick, I'm picking the Utes, 7.5, but I think it's going to be close. It's going to be like a 9-point win or something like that. You had it at 8 on the predictions, 31-23. I remember because you originally <laughs> had it at 30 to 23, which means you had you picked a push, and I was like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I, I also I also have Utah winning, and, and I, I, I kind of agree with a lot of what Matt said in terms of this is I think the best team playing right now in the conference. And I mean, honestly, and obviously Oregon's out of the conference picture, so I can kind of say this more confidently. I think a Utah Washington State rematch in the conference championship game would be really fun because that first game was really close up yep. in Pullman. I think Utah is playing way better than they were at that point in the season. So turning point in the season. It was yeah, it was the turning point in the season. They've now rattled off I think four in a row. Um, I think that would be really, really fun. I think from a stylistic perspective, it would be really, really fun. I kind of am, you know, if I if I am rooting for anything to happen in the conference race at this point, that would be kind of, to me, the optimal matchup. USC on the road at Oregon State. This is where it's going to get interesting, This Matt. is where it's going to get real interesting. Uh, USC is currently a 17-point favorite, and I'm sticking with my pick. <laughs> I have OSU winning this football game. You have to. You, can, you need to go. You've got to explain this. Give, <laughs> give, give me more than the seventy-five words you wrote yesterday. Okay, so my my thought process is this: USC is in shambles right now. They just fired their or they just fired their offensive line coach. They moved their running backs coach to coach offensive line. They've got GAs coaching the running backs. They relieved T. Martin of offensive coordinator duties. He's pulled down every. Re- connection he has to the USC Trojan coaching staff on his Twitter page and so he's he's now I, I think the quarterback's coach or the receiver's coach I, I'm not quite sure what his role is but he's not calling plays anymore Clay Helton's stepping in the AD and the the president have had to come out for USC to come out here and say we support Clay Helton we're all for that and oh by the way you still have to go play a football game up in Corvallis a place that traditionally USC is not played well at 
they, they have struggled in Corvallis for whatever reason for, for a majority of the last decade uh, up there. I think the Beavers have knocked them off two or three times up in Corvallis. Um, Oregon State's coming off a huge emotional high. The fan base is going to be jacked up because it's USC. And now the fact that, hey, Oregon State won a game. Yeah. And that's going to fuel the confidence. The environment's going to be crazy. Uh, JT Daniels is a true freshman quarterback coming off a concussion he didn't play in. Uh, the Arizona State loss. He's not been good on the road, and I understand Oregon State's defense is is not good. That's an understatement. But yeah, understand really big understatement. But I think USC's defense is just as disappointing at a different level, just because they have um, a lot of five star, four star kind of guys on their team. Talanoa Hafunga, probably one of their best defensive players, out for the year with a broken collarbone, suffered against. Or- Arizona State last week. I've been a fun homecoming for him. He's a Corvallis yeah, he's guy. Yeah, Corvallis guy. So I, I think everything is kind of setting up for a back and forth shootout type of a game. And I'm going to roll with the risky, ultra risky pick of OSU winning this game. I think I said 31 30. You had it closer. I think, yeah, I think it was something like that. Uh, or 35 34 yeah, or something, something of that like nature. That. None of that matters because USC is just way more talented. <laughs> wait, wait, USC is way more talented. When OSU wins, I will hang that in your head the entire you, week. You can, and you can. Which I, I will not be here for. And the, thing is, and the thing is, I won't hang the fact that USC did what they were supposed to do and beat Oregon State because they're way more talented. I think, and, they're, and, they're, and, and, I, and you, you, that's, a, that's a lot of good context and a, lot of, and a, a pretty good explanation for an awful pick. Um, <laughs> but I, I just think I think a lot of that is kind of null and void just because I think USC's got a lot of talent and I still think even though they've been definitely I'm, look I'm not trying to say USC's OSU's talent's comparable to USC it's not but sometimes the little guy wins I think this is going to be one of those few I times the little guy loses and uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I just I have a hard time visualizing how this takes place um, I, I mean, I'm already pretty... regretting my pick just because I know, I know. I, last week I even said in the picks I'm never picking Oregon State and the rest you, of the year. And then you picked and the, then the, then I... USC the next week, so yeah, man of his word, Matt Marine, we got it on, <laughs> we've got it written out. Um, as you said, after, I think your last like four words of your prediction was, "What am I doing?" <laughs> and then you just explained what you were doing, and it makes that more sense than I guess I, I did previously, but still not a lot. I just don't, I don't see it. Um, I, I think. I think for as bad as USC has been, I still think USC can win. And I have them covering, but I think it was 16 and a half or 17. Um, I, think, I think they win and they do so fairly dominant. I think I have them winning by like four touchdowns. I, 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 am, I think USC is going to be angry. I think there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of motivation after the way they played <laughs> the last couple of weeks because they have been bad. Um, but I, I just think they're too talented. And I think, I think they're going to win decisive. This is probably the most op- in opposite directions we've been on a pick all year. Yes. If, For sure. If USC loses this game, they might link Kiff and Clay Helton. Oh, and, and I think they should because USC is too good to, I don't want to say lose to a second class program, I don't want to say, but to a team that honestly does. Like the recruiting disparity between oh, it's these two schools is, 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 is actually incredible. I think Oregon State has like one four star prospect on the roster, and USC probably has like one non four star or five star <laughs> prospect on the roster. I know that's also being a little bit hyperbolic, but. Uh, USC is way more talented. All right, last game. Last game of the week, and it's probably the biggest game, but at the same time, it's kind of turned into a dud. I know. Uh, Stanford at Washington. Huskies are a 10.5-point favorite. Bryce Love hasn't been right all year. I don't think he played much against Washington State. I can't remember the box score and, and his status in that one. It was questionable going in. Um, I just 
I, I don't think he's going to be much of a factor because he hasn't been healthy much this year. He had six carries for 71 yards. Yeah. And I think a lot of that 71 came on one play, I think. I think he had like a 40-yard run or something yeah. of that nature. Yeah. Um, that forces Stanford to throw. And Washington has a gnarly defense of backfield. They've got studs everywhere. Um, I, I think Washington's going to win, and they're going to cover. I have Washington winning and not covering. Um, I think this is going to be a really competitive football game. I think Stanford's actually playing better right now than Washington. Um, it, it, you know, and just really quickly on the Bryce Love, it's crazy. He um, he ran for like twenty one hundred yards last year. He has four hundred nineteen. Yeah, he might not even get a thousand. He, he probably won't get a thousand. His high game of the season was one hundred thirty six against USC. Number two is eighty nine against Oregon. He's got four games where he got two games he didn't play. He has three games that he had less than 50 yards, I and mean, he just hasn't been... I wonder if he regrets his decision of coming back. I think this is the ultimate case of... Justin yeah, Herbert. This guy should have gone pro, probably. He's a senior, and now he's... He's hurt. He's hurt, and you wonder how much that impacts his draft stock. But I, I, I think I think Washington is going to win this game, and I don't think it's going to be pretty. I don't think they're going to dominate by any means. I think it's going to be really competitive. But my, my sense is Washington is, is probably a little bit better team right now. Um, uh, again, I think Stanford's probably playing better, but I think Washington wins. I think it's going to be close. I think the home field advantage helps. And really quick, it does. This game has been the last three years. The winner of this game has won the Pac-12 North. That's probably not going to be the case this year, or it, it could still be. But Washington State would have to have to mess up. Washington State controls its own destiny currently because they have obviously the loss record advantage um, over both of these schools right now, and they beat Stanford heads up. And, and the game against Washington is, I think, played in Pullman. So. Washington State's in a very good position if they don't coog it, which the fact that their thing called cooging it means that they could <laughs> uh, That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory Podcast. Stick with us throughout the weekend as we will be covering Oregon versus UCLA. Will the Ducks get to bowl eligibility? Will Justin Herbert play? Will Dylan Mitchell play? What will the return be like for Chip Kelly? Does Chip Kelly strike and steal the hearts away from Oregon again? <laughs> Oof. That would be a storyline. Yeah, sure. Uh, lots to look forward to in this week's uh, football game. And then uh, we'll, we'll be back doing another post-game podcast following that game, breaking it all down here on Duck, on the Duck Territory Podcast. So for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Bream, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys uh, sometime Saturday night. Bye.